Amen. Well, God bless you this morning. You can be seated. Well, it's officially fall. It's officially hoodie weather. I'm sure a lot of you are excited this morning. Jim, I'm right there with you. That means golf season's coming to a close, right, Todd? He, Todd's ready for hunting season, though. He's already made the transition. He's already, he's already been there. So you got to have the next thing set up and ready to go. But I'm excited as we're on this third installment of, uh, in our series, Fight for Faith, that our first week we talked about that grace is not just this free pass or this license to sin, but it's empowerment to win against sin, win against temptation. Now we understand that we're all struggling. We all have our own struggles. We all have temptation that the, the Bible says the enemy will come and be perceived to us as an angel of light to get us to fall. He, his goal is to, to still kill and destroy. But we have power over sin. We have power over temptation. And that's by walking in the spirit and allowing the life of the spirit to have full reign and not our flesh. And so whatever you're struggling against, keep struggling, keep fighting. We're taking our content from the book of Jude. It says, contend for the faith. That is believers, a part of our mantra, a part of our creed, a part of our call is that we contend, we advance. The Bible says what? The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. That there's this attitude we're to have to be militant in our faith. There's this attitude we're to have like Jesus said and what we reference many times is to destroy the works of the devil. That when you see a plot, a plan, a scheme of the enemy, you take your authority as a believer and you destroy that work of the devil that wants to, to destroy you, wants to destroy your family, wants to destroy our church, that we have authority. Aren't you thankful you have authority as a believer this morning? And that we wanna contend for the faith. We wanna fight for faith. Well, we're in part two of uh, this portion of the series on contending for the faith or fighting for faith. And this is remembering Lot's wife. And what you see behind you there is, is what we had talked about last week of how Lot's wife, because of her gaze of not allowing, she had the opportunity to be rescued from destruction. We talked about three points. We wanna remember her punishment. We wanna remember really the privilege that she had of being in this family of faith and how it was, it was, Sodom was so in her that we see when, as she was being rescued, it says, the Bible says in, in Genesis 18 and 19, where the, we see the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that the angels had to literally pull Lot and his family out, that there was this lazy faith that we see in the family of Lot. How many of you know lazy faith can be very dangerous? Jen reminded us during our women's conference that when faith loses its aggression, carnality begins to come into our lives. And so when we come into the house of God and we get in our quiet times in the word of God, there should be the stirring of our faith where we don't allow our faith to become lazy. And so we see this is that Jesus says in the gospels, he, he points out poignantly as he's, it's really a prophecy of when he comes again to remember Lot's wife. And we don't wanna forget what took place. And so last week we kind of did a case study and we looked at, okay, who was Lot's wife? What happened to her? Why would Jesus say to remember Lot's wife? Why was it in the book of Jude where it says, uh, don't forget about what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sexual immorality? So Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. So this week, we're gonna look at the man of the house, 
we're going to look at Lot himself. So we looked at Lot's wife. Now we're going to look at really the, the one who allowed all of this to come into his home, who didn't take his authority as a believer, who didn't take his rightful place. We talked about last week that even Lot was considered a joke. When he tried to take the moral high ground and impress his guests that were the angels, they laughed at him saying, who are you, Lot? Why do you think you're so, who do you think you are that you can tell us what we're doing is wrong? And so we see Lot really allowed himself to find himself in this place of compromise. And what we see and really what we're gonna see today when you read the story of Lot outside of a scripture in 2 Peter that says, because Lot was a righteous man, he was spared. You wouldn't really see the fruit or the work of righteousness in his life if you were to just really do a case study on him. But that's what the beauty of the gospel is. At the end of the day, when we see ourselves falling, even when we're in places of compromise, we're gonna see and we're gonna learn from Abraham because Abraham, his uncle, had a lot to do with who Lot became. That Abraham really shows us a picture and we can so identify with him that Lot never really repented when he fell. It's just he would kind of move on. But we see that this theme in Abraham's life is that he would repent and the grace of God would capture him and then he would continue in the plan and the destiny and the purposes of God. And so we're gonna really see the differences between Lot's direction and Abraham's direction. The story really picks up in Genesis 13. We looked at what happened because of this defining moment in Lot's life where he had an important decision to make. And we see that he chose the city of Sodom, that that's where he wanted to pitch his tent. And so if you go and you read it, we're not gonna get into the full picture of it for time. Um, but really where I wanna pick up and what I wanna look at is in Genesis 12, where you see the Abrahamic blessing come forth. We see this great promise and this great blessing from God that God was gonna bless all nations through Abraham. Now think if you were in that place and this, this blessing or this impartation comes into your life, that God was gonna do this great work. I don't know about you, but I would be excited. I would be extremely nervous. I would be very careful. How am I gonna steward this and what does it even look like? Because many times, and here's just the foundational truth, of faith as we walk with God is whenever God gives a blessing, there's usually a testing that follows. And so we see this in the life of Abraham, that this great blessing was given to him. But see, well, usually when God gives blessing, we don't see the results of it when you wake up the next day. You're usually then put into a season of, okay, we need to make sure there's wisdom there, that there's this trust relationship between you and I. And so we see after this Abrahamic covenant, this blessing was given, in Genesis 12, it says that a famine came on the land and how because of this famine, and here's a key verse, it says that uh, he began to really uh, waddle in his trust of, am I going to trust God or am I just going to take my instinct or take what I know best or maybe what I would have, how I would have responded in my past. So there was this famine that came on the land and the scripture literally says that he went down into Egypt. He went down into Egypt. Now, when you study that, that portion of scripture, it literally means what you hear, that it was a regress, it was a back step, that he was, he was stepping down out of the will of God, going into a place because he was scared that his, his livestock, his cattle, his possessions were at stake because of this famine that was on the land. Now, here's what I want you to see through this, is that whenever God 
pronounces a blessing or maybe you begin to see him move or maybe you begin to step into the will and purposes of God is don't take time and make sure you're not regressing or going back to something, a path that's comfortable, but allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to do that work of transformation on your lives. As I shared in communion, that he gives us the power to become. So really Abraham is in this place of becoming who God intended him to be. Now, when we're becoming who God intends us to be, that doesn't mean we're promised an easy path. Uh, we're not promised this, this, this straight path. But what we see through the life of Abraham and why he's so relatable is we see him fall, we see him struggle, but he always gets back up. He always repents. And he, he, you begin to see God restore him. And that's the beauty of the grace of God we have. Is again, grace just isn't this license to do whatever we feel, whatever we want, and then we know it, it's somewhere in the back the mercy of God will be there but it is empowerment to stay on the straight and narrow and to see God's hand and to see his provision. And as we're struggling against the things of the enemy, because we will fall to temptation from time to time, but we understand that our identity is not a sinner. We are saints and we are moving and walking. And when we fall, there is beautiful, great, amazing grace to set us free and to rescue us and to get us back up to where we need to be. And so we see this really throughout the life of Abraham. But then we see, and as, as we look at Lot, again, Abraham was the uncle of Lot and took care of Lot as his nephew. We see some things begin to take place as Abraham goes down into Egypt of what we see in the scripture. Study will tell us that as he went down into Egypt, some things begin to happen as he was not in the will of God in that moment of his life it would begin to say that he would begin to lose his communion with God. You see two important themes in the life of Abraham when you read that he always built an altar and that he always pitched a tent. So a lot of his personality and his nature was, it's a, it's a picture that he's a sojourner, he's a foreigner, he's passing through that when God speaks and says, go here, go there, don't go here, don't go there, he's ready to pitch his tent wherever God leads him. I think that's why we see God could trust him with something like this because he was willing to move and do and go. Secondly, you see that he would build an altar, that wherever he went or God sent him, he would turn it into a place of worship. Okay, this is, God is the center of my life. Well, when he goes down into Egypt, you never see mention that he builds an altar. And so that would begin to show you, okay, what Abraham's doing is he's taking his family as Lot is observing and, observing and watching that his communion with God isn't there. He's losing, we're gonna see his influence in his family and also his testimony with Pharaoh. And so Abraham, as he's taking his family on this journey down into Egypt, we see really a crazy story. Like I'm waiting till Hollywood gets the picture and starts making every chapter of Genesis into this epic movie. It'd be very entertaining. Um, but what we see take place in Genesis 13 as they're going down into Egypt is Abraham begins to be fearful. He begins to, to doubt, okay, I've made this decision into sin. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling of how, how are we gonna be provided for? Um, and the thing that hits his mind as you read it is that he was worrying and struggling because of how beautiful his wife Sarah was that other men are going to want to be with her. And so he devises this plan. How are we gonna get out of this? How am I gonna protect you? And so he comes up with this crazy plan and he says, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna be your brother 
okay? You're gonna tell everyone you're my brother, so when someone wants to be with you, they're not gonna wanna take vengeance on me and get me out of the picture so they can have you. This great man of faith, what an amazing plan. Throw his wife under the bus to protect himself. I mean, that's literally what's happening here. And so we see this taking place. And as you go through it, again, Lot is observing and watching everything that's taking place. And study will tell us that when Abraham made that decision to go down into Egypt, Lot got a taste of the world. Lot got a taste of the high life. Lot got a taste of money and prosperity. Study will even tell us as they went down into Egypt is that's where Hagar came onto the scene, which if you know about Hagar, that she would have, he would have Ishmael with Hagar. And because of that decision, it, uh, oral tradition fills in the gaps of the Old Testament. Uh, so this is where it teaches us this, is because Hagar came out of Egypt, we're still, and had Ishmael, we're still dealing with the ramifications of that very decision. Today, that's where we know Islam came from, was from Ishmael and Hagar. And so again, we see what went down in Egypt. It didn't stay in Egypt, is honestly what happened. Because it began to influence and it began to turn the mind of Lot. But see what happens, and here's the beauty of it, and here's again why we relate to Abraham so well, is when Abraham came to his senses and said, you know, this wasn't the right decision, I should have never went down into Egypt. I'm gonna go back to the place where I was in the will of God. I'm gonna go back to the place where I know I should have never left. And that place was Bethel. If you know what Bethel means, it means the house of God. It means the place of God. It means the place of worship of God. So it says, and here's what's amazing in Genesis 13, he went down to Egypt, then it says he got up and went to Bethel. So this is what the grace of God is always beckoning us to do. When we're down in sin, the grace of God is saying, get up and come back to the place of worship. Get, be- get up and come back to communion with me. And so we see Abraham get up and get his family back out of Egypt and get, back them, get them back to the place of Bethel, the house of God, the house of worship. He builds an altar there, pitches his tent there. We see him being restored again. But what's never mentioned is that Lot repents or that Lot really made this decision to repent and to begin to change. And so into Genesis 13, what we really don't realize either as we study is a lot of the wealth that we see take place in Abraham and Lot's family is what they attained in their time in Egypt because Egypt was a very prosperous place. Remember, they left famine to go into Egypt. So a lot of the wealth they attained was in an ungodly manner of honestly just what study will will show and tell us. And so they brought a lot of their possessions and a lot of their wealth back. And then we see a conflict take place in Genesis 13 where they were so blessed and a lot of it was God's blessing, but they acquired wealth out of God's will in Egypt as well. And so study will, will show us and tell us that it brought them into a place of conflict and a decision that had to be made. Now, here's what I love about God's word, too, and what all of us desire as we're moving in the things of God. As the Bible says that God gives us the ability to get wealth, and he adds no sorrow or pain with it. That's the promise we want. We want to attain not just possessions, but the promises of God. And when you're in the promises of God, he doesn't add sorrow with it. But when you go out, and I go out, we go out and get wealth outside of God's plan and his way, 
there's usually sorrow added with it. And so to bring the story together, we see that this is where this conflict came into play. So instead of reading it, I wanna show it to you, a quick clip of where because of these great possessions, because of all this wealth, it started to cause controversy and it started to cause, um, um, they became disgruntled. Servants started fighting over whose possession is what. And so this is the decision that they had to come to. Check this out. Got it back there? Looks like you guys are just gonna have to hear me read it, I'm sorry. But here's what took place in Genesis 8, Genesis 13, verse 8. In a nutshell, it says that they began to look around at the land. And Lot said this, he said, or Abraham said this in verse 8, he said, let's not have any quarreling between you. Here we go. So we see, as you read in scripture, that Lot was captured by the gaze of what he saw in the east, which was Sodom and Gomorrah. It said, if you were to look and you were to study just the agriculture and the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was very prosperous. There was ample amount of water, agriculture, growth, livestock, cattle, real estate was great. Uh, so that was Lot when he was making his decision and what's great is we really begin to see the scripture come into play of what we see in the New Testament that Lot chose to walk by sight where Abraham chose to walk by faith. What we see there is Abraham didn't want possessions and wealth to begin to create this family conflict. So he would be a peacemaker there and say, you know, Lot, whatever direction you want to go, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. It's not worth breaking this relationship here. And I like how the video portrayed it because you saw even in the eyes of Abraham when Lot chose to go east and go towards Sodom that there was almost this uh, of what he, I'm sure, could sense. He knew what was out east and the temptations and what Sodom and Gomorrah was all about. Scripture even tells us as Ezekiel reaches back and looks into what was the sin that was in Sodom that would begin to be the destruction of his family. 
It says this in Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50. It says, the sin of your sister Sodom was this. She lived with her daughters in the lap of luxury, proud, gluttonous, and lazy. They ignored and oppressed the poor. They put on airs and lived, in obs- and lived obscene lives. Other translation will say they went after a strange flesh referencing homosexuality. And it says, and you know what happened? God did away with them. Talking about a gaze of the flesh too. 1 John 2.16 says this. It says, for everything in the world. So it's talking about the world. This is what wants to capture our attention as it did Lot. It's the lust of the flesh. It's what you want and what you want for yourself. It's usually selfish, the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes and it's the pride of life. It says it just doesn't come from our father, but it comes from the world. And so it's saying don't be caught up in just possessions because Lot here, he wasn't looking for, man, is there a great church for my family in Sodom? Is, are my children going to be okay? Who's going to be friends with my wife? Who's going to be in the circle of my kids? He was looking at a pure, what is the best financial decision here? And that was to go east for himself. And so again, we see as you go on and you read what brought about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was sexual immorality. And it wasn't just sexual immorality, it was to the place of where scripture says it was, it, it was a stench in the nostrils of God. It was to a place of where there was no redeeming it because it touched the young and it touched the old. And so I, what I want us to be and what I want us to know, and I was recently at a, a pastor's breakfast and pastors from other areas were discussing some of these issues and one was on the topic of homosexuality, which is very taboo in churches. Pastors won't preach on it, um, and it becomes a point of tension because we see there's doctrine or there's beliefs in the church that one, it's not a sin, or two, I was born this way. So there's a lot of confusion regarding it. And I want you to hear my heart as I don't want us to be confused. And we see openly that This topic is handled so poorly and causes hurt and pain and never really deals with healing the issue. And then we see on the other hand is maybe we don't know how to deal with it, so we're just gonna accept it and embrace it. But my heart is, is Jesus said himself, remember Lot's wife, and the very thing, the very signature that was on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was this issue of homosexuality. And so I want to actually read this letter I came across, and it's from an ex-lesbian. The power of God touched her and set her free from homosexuality. And that's what I believe God wants to do in our church. That's the kind of power we believe in, that there is freedom, that there is deliverance. When the power of God touches you, you can be completely set free and walk away from a lifestyle of sin, walk away from a lifestyle that was not God's design. And so, Kenny, if you would slide over this article, it just says so much, and we talked about this article, and it was her pleading to pastors to please stand up, talk about it, say something, bring out the truth on this issue. And again, I'm not just trying to single out homosexuality, but it is something we have to be versed on, and it's something because we preach the full gospel. We want to touch everything, not just single some things. But in talking of Sodom and Gomorrah in this part portion of the series, this is a very important point. 
look what it says. It says, dear pastor, she's talking. It says, there are things I urgently need for you to know. And there are things I desperately need you to tell me. I shudder to think where I'd be today if my pastor had not been bold enough to tell me the truth regarding homosexuality, a lifestyle in which I lived for more than 30 years. Pastors, please take time out of your busy schedule to read my humble plea. First, I need you to tell me in no uncertain terms that homosexuality is a sin. Show me what the Bible says. How many of that's a great starting place with any issue? Let's show what the Bible says. Show me what the Bible says and tell me what the word of God is eternal and does not change with the times. Please don't tell me that you won't address it or that you don't have an opinion because if you don't speak up, I'm going to think that it's all right and will be headed for an eternity in hell. Pastors, when I come to you seeking answers, I need you to boldly speak the truth in love. There's a key there too, speak truth in love. My very salvation depends on it. Next, please let me know that Jesus' death on the cross was enough to cover any sin I have committed, including that of homosexuality. Please tell me that every sin, no matter how minor or major it seems, is an affront to God. If you don't, I will feel like my sin because it feels more embarrassing or shocking is harder for God to forgive than that of others. And I will be left with the wrong impression that homosexuality is the unpardonable sin. And a lot of, a lot of people who struggle with same-sex attraction, that's a common expression that God can't touch this, God can't set me free. And last, I need you to tell me to repent. Please tell me that true Christianity calls for genuine repentance of all sin, including homosexuality. And pastors, if I try to make excuses to live in my sin, stand firm, contend for the faith, what we're talking about, fight for faith, because my eternal destiny hinges on it. And then, and this is so very important, tell me that God's power, his mercy and his grace, somebody say amen, this is the key, are more than enough for me to live in absolute freedom. Because if you don't, I will think that homosexuality is the only sin for which God's power isn't enough. It is enough. When I was looking for truth and answers, I walked into a church just like yours. For the first time in years, I started attending regularly and started feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my heart as I learned what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And so there, everything changed for her of when she saw the truth and it was from a loving pastor, it was from a loving church. See, that's the role you and I always have to play is we understand sin is sin. And we look at what were other sins of Sodom? They didn't take care of the poor. They oppressed the poor. They, they didn't take care of those in their city that were poor and in need of help. It says they sat in the, and they were in the lap of luxury. It says that they were into gluttony. It says they were prideful. They were puffed up. And so when we see, see when you read Sodom and Gomorrah, a lot of people think, all right, let's go after homosexuality. But Lot, when you look at the life of Lot, there's so much more here where Lot, when he tried to take the moral high ground living in the city, people thought he was a joke because he wouldn't really stand for anything. He, it says that he sat at the gates, which means he took a high place of authority and power. And with that came title and wealth and prestige. And so you can tell that he began to get used to, get used to the lap of luxury, the money and the provision that he got where if he were to stand up against that, then the politics would come into play and that could be a jeopardy. You could go so many different ways and look at that. But Lot, yes, he was saved because of his righteousness. But at the end of the day, he could have done so much more. 
And that's where we see that it was Abraham interceding with God. If, if you can just find 30 people, 20 people, and it came down to one family that would be rescued. So three things as we close with this, I'm gonna go through them very quickly, that we learned through this is having much can sometimes cause conflicts. I think we see that through the life of, of the separation of Abraham and Lot, that having this wealth, that Lot chose wealth over family, Lot chose wealth over the will of God, that it says he went and pitched his tent in the plains of Sodom, which we know, and it says a lot, that he started to pitch his tent in the plains of Sodom. Sure, there was some conviction there. I don't want to have my family completely around it, but then as the lights began to look good at night, as the wealth was there when you got a little closer to the city, he then made his home in Sodom. And so having much can sometimes cause conflict. So it's getting in God's word and saying, how do we handle possessions? Number two is this, is we always have to value people over possessions. I think this is where Lot dropped the ball here. As he chose possessions, he chose what the East could offer him over his family, over his relationships, over really what God had called him to. And number three is learn the danger of greener grass. I can't preach this anymore. It's, it's what the enemy wants to always do is to get you in a place of comparison. And comparison is always the contentment killer in our lives. He wants you to begin to compare your life with their life. Compare your season with their season. And as you can compare you begin to stop watering your own grass, taking care of and stewarding what God's done in you, and their grass begins to look a lot cleaner. Their marriage begins to look a lot better. They're more blessed. They have this, they have that. And you get your eyes off of watering your grass and what God's called you to. You begin to compare, and your contentment begins to go out the window. I'm telling you that Abraham, in his mature faith, Lot would be labeled as having immature faith. That's why the decisions he made what he did is because of Abraham's mature faith, he could choose faith and not just sight. He chose to be the peacemaker, not just have more possessions, which in, it was all his anyways. Lot was riding off the coattails of Abraham's faith. And so you see a prideful Lot thinking that he deserves and he's entitled to something that Abraham earned and Abraham did the work for. And so again, it's learning the danger of green, of the greener grass. Don't fall into that. I want to leave you with this, and this was um, a pretty cool highlight that came out in news this week, and it's from the artist Kanye West. If you've been following news, social media, you've probably seen this, Can if you would slide it over, but he recently decided that he was going to be a follower of Jesus and be all in on his relationship with God. Now, a lot of times when you hear, you, you have to kind of do some research, like, okay, is this just a publicity stunt? Is this whatever? But when you read into the, a lot of his lyrics, because what he, he's saying here is he's done with secular music and it's gospel music from here on out. Now that's a big deal. And that says a lot about his decision on really coming into faith and wanting to follow Christ. And I mean, when you look, I, want, I've, I pulled up one of his songs and was looking into it. And one of them, that's gonna be on his new album called Jesus is King. I think it's incredible. Jesus is King is the name of his new album. Is one of the songs is called Closed on Sunday. And it's, uh, he mentions Chick-fil-A several times because every good Christian has to mention Chick-fil-A. It's kind of what you do. But 
it, I want to read you some of the lyrics because it, it tells a lot about his, his commitment and this wanting to be obedient and declaring Jesus is supreme in his life. And again, think about the influence that Kanye, that the Kardashians have. Think about what God can begin to do in this family. So look what, I want to read you some of the lyrics. It says, closed on Sunday, you my Chick-fil-A. Closed on Sunday, you my Chick-fil-A. Hold the selfies, put the gram away. Get your family, y'all hold hands and pray. When you got daughters, always keep them safe. Watch out for vipers, don't let them indoctrinate. I think Lot could have used this song in his time. It says, closed on Sunday, you my Chick-fil-A. This ain't game day, get your house in shape. Train your sons, raise them in the faith. To temptations, make sure they're wide awake. Follow Jesus, listen, and obey. No more living for the culture, we nobody slave. Stand up for my home, even if I take this walk alone. I bow down to the king up on the throne. My life is his, I'm no longer my own. I pray to God that he'll strengthen my hand. They will think twice stepping into my land. I draw the line, it's written in the sand. Try me and you will see that I ain't playing. Now back up off my family, move your hands. I got my weapons in the spirit's land. It's amazing. And a lot of the other songs, if you go and, and you see him, I think his album drops sometime this month. So yes, your pastor's telling you, you can listen to Kanye West. It's all good, okay? I wish I could have used that when I was a teenager, but all joking aside, it's amazing to see what God can do. And, and really, when you encounter the living God, you begin to leave a lifestyle behind. You begin to say, that was darkness. That was a time of unfaithfulness. That was where futility, I was pro, uh, subject to futility, to death. My spirit man was not alive. And so when you step into the kingdom of God, which Kanye West is doing and is becoming a son and daughter of God, you begin to leave things behind. That's why I think it's incredible that he's saying, I'm no longer going to use my influence, my voice to represent something that I don't believe in, that Jesus is king. It's the name of his new album and how he's taking a stand for the kingdom of God. And so as we close this morning to tie it all together, remember Lot's wife. I pray this morning that, and there's some resources in the back of, as I read that letter, that we would be well-versed, that we would know how to speak truth in love, that all of you know someone who may struggle with same-sex attraction. God may send you into their life to say, hey, let's talk about this. Let's get what the word of God says. We believe that you can be set free. We believe that sin doesn't have to have power in your life. And so there's a couple booklets of how, how do we respond to this that are in the back if you wanna take one. Uh, but I want you to know, is your pastor... And I'm not afraid to, to share on these issues, but when we talk about them, when we begin to study them, that the Holy Spirit can lead you in conversation when these subjects come up, where maybe it's, I don't wanna offend or I don't wanna step on toes, because see, that's what the enemy's using to get the church to shut its mouth of, I, I don't wanna offend anybody. I just, I have to be nice, I don't wanna offend anybody. But there's a way that God empowers us to speak truth and love. And we're not beating a person up for what they believe, but say, hey, let's have a conversation about this and let's point to the word of God. So I wanna pray for you this morning. If you bow your head. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your conviction, for your grace. We thank you that we have complete freedom available to us. 
that the cross is bigger than homosexuality. The cross is bigger than any sexual immorality. The cross is bigger than sitting in the lap of luxury and going after wealth and going after money and, and money being our God. God, we thank you that the blood of Jesus can set any sinner free. And God, we thank you that we all have a testimony. Father, and we don't want our testimony, we don't want our communion, we don't want our influence to be robbed by lingering in things you've set us free from. We don't want our gaze to be that of Lot's wife when you've provided the path of grace and the path of rescue. That when the time came, what was in her came out and she turned and was turned to the pillar of salt. God, we wanna choose to be like Abraham this morning and respond in faith, not go by what we just see or maybe just what we feel, but what does the word of God say? Allow our emotions to come in line. Allow our theology to come in line with the word of God. Transform our thinking to line up with yours. God, we thank you. I pray you send us into places because as Abraham, Abraham was separate, that's why God could send him in in Genesis 14 to rescue Lot from being kidnapped. That's why he could send him in to begin to intercede for him. And because of Abraham's faith, Lot was rescued. So God, we understand that it's just not an us for or no more, but you send us in to battle, to destroy the works of the devil, to set the captives free. So God, put this anointing, this ministry upon us. Equip us to do the work of the ministry as we leave here and go into the world. Thank you for empowering us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.